0: Hi everyone, it's Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. Now, into every life, a drop of rain must fall, and then a flower grows. At least that's what my mima told me. And today we have a very special episode, not that kind of very special episode, those who know, know, but instead a fun modern very special episode about wisdom of grandmothers and what they can teach us through the power of color and frills and fireworks, but not muffins. And I think you will understand what I mean by that by the end of the episode. For today on the LB School Podcast, we are pleased to introduce to the world, you may unleash the Kraken on Wallace West. Now, Wallace tells us that he once pet a wild alligator. I don't know if that was foolish or not, and he has not yet met a chocolate macaron that he did not like. He is a brand new illustrator on LBYR's list for a book that he wrote. It is called Mighty Red Riding Hood, and we have decided to have Wallace tell us about himself and about his book and a couple of interesting ideas that are appearing in this book like strange dreams from uh, a person who has, um, we're just going to say a unique vision in life, and we're going to ask him about some of those things. So come with me on this journey into the mind of Wallace West. Wallace, welcome to the podcast and to LBYR.
1: Hello, I'm so glad to be here. Um, and, and glad I survived that alligator many years ago in order to make this appearance. <laughs> <laughs> what,
0: what's the deal on the alligator? Because I think I'm seeing a pattern here.
1: Well, I was at a state park. It was in Texas where I grew up, where I am uh, talking to you from right now. Uh went with some friends to a state park and uh, unbeknownst to me, there were wild alligators running rampant or lying rampant in the sun, if that's even a phrase. And um, I thought, well, They seem very docile. I'm not gonna interrupt them too much if I go and pet this one that's right in the middle of the path. People are walking around it. I wanna be the one who touches it. So I did pet this alligator, continued on my way, looked back at the alligator and realized had it whacked me with its tail, I would have been pummeled into this little pond full of other alligators. So very narrowly missed swimming with them, but I definitely got to pet one and and live to tail the tail.
0: Now, how old were you when this occurred?
1: I was a teenager. I think I was 16 or 17.
0: Okay. That explains part of it. But was this the secret moment? Was it the the secret of the alligator skin that caused you to wish to be a children's book writer and illustrator?
1: You know, it encouraged me to include alligators and crocodiles. as just part of my toolkit. You'll see outside of this book, I do an awful lot of alligators, crocodiles and snakes
0: you do have a thing for reptiles, don't you? It's kind of, it's kind of charming. So what motivated you to be? If it wasn't the reptiles, it wasn't the reptilian uh, 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 moment there. What, what caused you to want to be a children's book writer and illustrator?
1: Well, I can tell you that I've, I've always just been a, a huge fan, and I know plenty of people say this, but I very genuinely mean it, picture books. Uh, my grandmother was an elementary school teacher, as was my mother, and uh, I remember the first picture book that I read, there was a blockhead in my pocket, and uh, I can see those words coming together as actual words and being so thrilled that there were pictures associated with it, and I could pair the two together um, and thought that that was just fabulous and amazing. Now, flash forward a couple years later, I read, uh, a lot of people know Roald Dahl for Charlie and the Chocolate Mm -hmm. Factory, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, um, if you're thinking of the movie or the book version. But my favorite is The Witches. And I remember when I read that, I thought, okay, this is a story that is funny, that's dark, that involves a grandmother and her grandson, and is magical and has these wonderful, lively illustrations. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to be the storyteller that tells that kind of story that has those sorts of images associated with it front and center. And it's influenced my, my craft ever since. And that's going on, oh goodness, 30 plus years.
0: You know, so I, I, I sit in a room Wednesday mornings at an absurdly early hour of the day where they decide to show us the projects they would like to acquire for the house we all have to sit around a room and sometimes we're called upon like a school and and they tell us would you like to buy this project and one day mighty red riding hood came into the room and yes it was absurdly early in the morning and those who know know I think everything before 11:30 uh, a.m. is way too early and this was at 9 so you oh, wow. know how i was feeling <laughs> But I I had looked at little Leroy Larouge and said I want to know this child. I want to know this child yesterday. I want to know this child today. I want to know where this child is in 50 years and bow down before their genius as they rule the world. <laughs> so in telling us a little bit about your creative process maybe tell us where little leroy Le Rouge came from was it an image was it a word was it a smell was it you know not so much an alligator but perhaps you know an interesting snake that brought about this fever dream <laughs>
1: I wish that I wish that a reptile was involved that make it a little bit more on brand for me and a little bit more exciting but I will say um, when I knew that I wanted to do a retelling of a classic fairy tale um, Little Red Riding Hood for some reason always pops into my head I think because I just love the setting of the woods I love the sense of danger and I love this wolf. Um, I wasn't always a big fan of how it ended with the for the wolf, um, because I, I tend to be team animal as opposed to team person in stories. Um, and so that was fun to play with as well, I'm sure we'll get into later. But as a child, i ha- I have grown up with three sisters, and when i I'm the third, and I had two older sisters, and so they um, routinely wore dresses, and I remember asking my parents, um, whereas my dress, why don't I have a dress? And I'm like, well, you just, those are for your sisters. They're not for you. And I thought, well, okay. So I went and got a red bandana and I tied it around my neck and I said, well, this is my dress. And I actually don't like my name. I would prefer to be called Mary. And my family was like, great. You be you. And, um, you're going to have your dress on. And I remember growing up too, my family showing, uh, photo albums of me with this bandana on and. No one making a deal out of it or making a punchline out of it. It was just a, that's uh, who Gordon was when he was about three or four. And um, so knowing that I had that sort of a supportive family and knowing how fun it was to express myself and make sort of like layer my identity with my appearance in a way that felt fun and authentic, um, really influenced who this character was.
0: I love that answer. Longtime listeners to the podcast and longtime knowers of me. Uh, know that pink is a childhood color trauma uh, for me, and anything with a ruffle is a childhood clothing trauma for me. Uh, Uh This book really resonated uh, with me because in San Diego in (laughs) 1973, my mother wanted a child who loved pink and Belgian lace, and that was not me. That was not me. So as little Leroy is firecracking it up through the woods, I really related to their insistence that they be able to dress exactly as they wish because just for the fun of it. It's not a problem. It's not an issue. It's just fun. Where do you get the idea that you want to have fun in a picture book or in a book for kids? So, you know, just where does that sense of play arrive from?
1: Um, I think I just put myself in back into the shoes of um, Gordon in elementary school and like what what, what I want to read. And it's, it's something that gives you courage to do something out of your comfortable realm of thinking or being, or whether that's the heteronormative way of living, or if that's just the eat savory things for dinner and sweet things for breakfast. It's like, I want to try the complete opposite. And if you've got, if you ask my family to this day, and my mother particularly, if you tell Gordon to do A, he's going to say, no, I'd rather do B. If you want him to do A, suggest that he does B. <laughs> so I think I just find the fun in doing the opposite. And that's that's where I find the fun in picture books. It's when the text is sort of incongruous with the image and, and vice versa.
0: And I think uh, Little Red Riding Hood is such a perfect sort of story or tale to uh, explore these issues because even in its most traditional form, a little girl in the woods that is going outside gender expectations and all of those uh, older versions of the story, unaccompanied, wearing a very vibrant color, so being seen uh, mm. in, in the woods, which is sort of a natural setting, not a civilized setting, encountering that animal who is a, a symbol for something much more weird and untamed, uh, mm. and thinking about what could be the fear or the dangerous responses in such a very old fairy tale. But you've sort of said, "Mm, no, not dangerous if I don't want it to be,
1: right? Yeah, I I think it's, you know, there. people can say um, there's a line that's blurred between confidence and ignorance, and it's, well, I think that I know that this character is not ignorant, that this character is confident and knows that there are risks in being outspoken, knows that the alternative of sort of dampening who, who he is and what he wants to say and what he stands for is more of a threat to him as a person than a big bad wolf could be um, on the surface.
0: One of the things I really enjoy about, I have to call him little Leroy LaRouge, I'm sorry. I really should not probably call him by his full name all the time, but I feel compelled because it is such a good name. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I can hear his meemaw <laughs> just calling all the full names. Each time the wolf comes back with an answer about what Leroy should not be wearing, Leroy does not shrink, and he's not combative. He's not argumentative. He's not. He's just sort of yeah, no, whatever, bud.
1: I think because little Leroy we will call him that. Um, he. If he is combative, and I say this from experience too, that's really just not gonna get you anywhere. Yeah. It's not gonna get anybody on your side, and it's not gonna get you through a difficult situation any smoother, it's it's better in the long run to, you know, just say, well, if you don't like vanilla ice cream, that's fine, I do, and be on your way. Now, if somebody wants to have a full-on discussion with, it, with you about it, you can, and you know why you like it, and you don't need to say, you have to like vanilla ice cream too, or you have to like my riding hood the way that it is. Say, this is what I like and why I like it, and be on your way.
0: <laughs> no. I've seen a, a number of books. I was thinking of Deb Underwood's Ogilvy, and then earlier this year we had Peter Brown's Fred Get Stressed and the idea of clothing and, and certain colors being boy colors and girl colors. So one of my favorite books is uh, Cassius Sinclair's History of Colors, and then I'm, I'm she has another book on uh, stripes. And fabrics, which is really interesting, and thinking about how these things have changed over time. Looking at Little Leroy, and I just, I just love it so much. I'm so glad uh, to hear
1: that.
0: Just having a, a very um, expansive vision. Yes, talking about confidence, but he has a very expansive vision of just welcoming. Uh, you know, the wolf doesn't have to agree with him, and we'll get to that wolf in a moment and how you have depicted that wolf because mm-hmm. yeah, genius the sense of welcome you wanted to include in the book. So just as the book is not, and Leroy is not dismissive or angry or confrontational, there's also a positive welcoming quality to the book. How was that important for you to, to put in there?
1: Well, it was important to me because, so if you sort of think of Leroy LaRouge having already sort of dealt with or worked through, you know, maybe he's not fully understanding how to say that he is a queer kid but he is one and he knows the difficulties of of being that and having people sort of accept and understand and appreciate and honor Mm -hmm. and value who he is he if he's combative he's being the person who made his life difficult Mm -hmm. i think that just by nature makes him more understanding and more compassionate so when he hears the wolf saying you're doing this wrong or you should be doing it this way he is hearing what people said to him before that sort of made him less of who he is. So if he says that to this wolf, he's going to sort of subtract from who the wolf is, and maybe the wolf just needs to be in a comfortable place to be a more comfortable wolf. And um, Little Red is hopefully, or Mighty Red is going to hopefully be that for him.
0: Just like a nice snack with mumu Absolutely. A nice snack that is not that is not Moo, but provided by Moo Yes. Yes. Let us... Spoiler alert, kids. <laughs> so,
1: Spoiler alert, no one gets eaten.
0: No, no, the wolf lives at the end and nobody got eaten. Uh, although there was some violence done to some muffins, and we'll get to that in a second. This book is the first in a series of uh, queer fairy tales. And I have seen, spoiler alert, a sneak peek of your next book, which uh-huh. is super fun. Uh, I'm sure there will be some changes, but... Thinking about, I think we touched a little bit this on, on this already, but thinking about your readers and the queer kids and maybe the non-queer kids who are going to read these fairy tales, why did you want to go back to all of these fairy tales and reframe them in a way?
1: I think it, if you look at fairy tales, they teach you how to interact with the world and that the world is not always friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is just a good foundation for a story. And I, I know you won't hear a lot of creative people say this, and maybe I'm just like ruining it, a secret that we all keep. People think maybe that creatives are just very liberal and sort of willy nilly in what they're creating. It's like, I love the idea of a parameter and saying, how can I make this work within here and let me just like take on this creative challenge? So knowing that this foundational fairy tale works. What can I do to make it a story that reflects who I was as a kid, who other kids like me want to see within the book, and also for people who are like me who want to share who they are with their niece or nephew or child, um, just to have a, a more expansive view of the world. And so knowing that this was just like a fairy tales like part of the family. so. Everyone knows that already, and if you're tweaking it a little bit to, to, to make a, a different kind of point or, or bring a different point of view um, to the spotlight. I think that that is more willingly digested by um, a readership than a completely new idea. I'm not saying that that's impossible. I'm saying for this particular work and the message that I wanted to put out there and the inspiration and the creativity I wanted to imbue Um, having the fairy tales was a very good, solid foundation.
0: I really like that. And I think uh, as you made the point about creatives not being willy nilly and they're having a very specific point of view in a very uh, specific structured way. I think one approach that you've taken with this book that is interesting to me as a pairing with this, you know, it's a structure of a story. And yes, I'm old enough. I went to college that I have passed through structuralism, deconstruction, and neo-structuralism. Yes, mm-hmm. I did it all. I read Theory for the Cycle. Um, but I enjoy thinking about the structure of this fairy tale and how you have subverted it, but also that this book has a, a pretty restricted color palette
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that it matches the sort of, you know, the structure of the story. There, There's not, you know, usually we think of uh, a couple illustrators, very lush, full bleed, all the colors of the rainbow, and a few besides this. But it's a very restricted palette. There is uh, red with its shades. There is a, a lovely blue with its shades, and then there's gray. So it's very. Did you make a conscious choice in this to have a very restricted palette? I, because I know I see other colors in your other work.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I. I mean, I love using all kinds of colors when I'm doing a single piece. I typically, I think I go into every piece thinking I'm using one color, I love monochrome. And then I step back, I'm like, okay, well, we need to like inject like a little bit of an accent color. So we'll do that. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe there needs to be something because if you're layering the characters or you're layering, you know, some like, um, flora and fauna, you don't want them to conflict with your main character. So what's the color that's going to be for your secondary sort of material? And then you go from there. I like having the three and possibly four. Um, because I think for my, for myself, when I'm, I'm doing this artwork for a, a complete picture book, I don't want it to be overcomplicated. And I find that I can get lost in the complications. There are too mm. many layers of color. Um, and so I like to keep it pretty restrictive. And so I think that it, that's also makes it more impactful if you see this sort of primarily red page with some blue highlights in it. And then the next page you get to some blue silhouettes. It's like, whoa, okay, now I can see that I'm somewhere else and something completely different is happening. Um, But if you had every color of the rainbow, it sort of like easily glides from one segment to the next.
0: I think that's a really great answer because um, when I'm looking at this book, I'm thinking a structure of story. I'm thinking about the structure of the color and then... At another level, all the simplicity of it allows me to appreciate some visual details of the art and some word details of the story. So, uh, I didn't warn you ahead of time, but let's have some pop quiz, buddy, on some stuff here. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. I'm not going to blame the alligator for this because that's mean to the alligator. But please, let's understand pea bean fishbone muffins. (laughs)
1: Um, do, do you know where that came from, actually? I do
0: not, <laughs> and I am afraid of my curiosity.
1: So I have um, a cookbook that I think um, is from, it's definitely from the very early 1900s. It was my grandmother's mother's cookbook, um, and it was all put out by Crisco, and I had it on a shelf. i completely forgotten about it. It was when I was living in Massachusetts, and my youngest sister came to visit me, And she is a chef. And I pulled this out and we were reading through it thinking, this is the most ridiculous, entertaining, disgusting thing we've ever read in our lives. And so also looking at it as like, oh, how are they even, what does this thing mean? Oh, that's how we say this today. But there was one recipe in particular that called for pea beans. And we both just busted out laughing. And I immediately wrote it down. I was like, this needs to be somewhere. I don't know when I'm going to use it. It is the funniest phrase I've ever heard in my life and this was the place for it
0: okay so let's think about this page here which I have in front of me and readers you're gonna need to go get this book because the the word joke of pea bean fishbone muffin which ew, <laughs> it appears on a page with a number mm-hmm. of visual jokes that are triggered your pre my appreciation was triggered again by the by the phrase pea bean fishbone muffin say that five times real fast Because on the page is also spinach cauliflower growth. Spinach cauliflower crawfish, another winner. Giblet goo. Now you're talking to my cat. (laughs) Gumbo gumdrop. Hay. And cookbooks that say, ew, yuck. But then looking at further detail there's octopus tentacles i feel bad for that octopus a terrifying foam and as i go deeper into the details the legs of the tables look like to be legs
1: the legs is sort of or almost like you know i look at this furniture if anybody's seen beetlejuice like Catherine o'hara's character would be creating these little sculptural pieces that are eventually going to come to life and skitter across the floor Mm -hmm. um and then I love that you, pointed. <laughs> clearly I have like a, um, an obsession with and a very um, saturated interest in film <laughs> because I'm going to cite another movie that maybe nobody's seen. Um, it's called Better Off Dead. And there's a scene where the mother is cooking and there's an octopus randomly in the pot. I see that maybe you might know what I'm talking
0: yes, about. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes.
1: This, it is never addressed in the movie. No one says, why are you cooking a giant octopus? She's just stirring, and I can't remember her name. She's an Academy Award-nominated or winning actress. And uh, I thought, that's a visual that needs to be somewhere. Here's the place for it.
0: I love that. I love that. Just It's just so random. Because then also, as we were talking, I was thinking, oh, He's packed a reference to the witches into this book, and I had no even idea until this moment that looking at it again, I was like, oh, influenced by the witches by Roald Dahl. Well, now we see something else that's going on here, and a whole other layer of meaning has been uh, uh, opened to my eyes because then I flipped to the page, uh, and here's the wolf. So moving from a, I like the word saturated that you used, this is, uh, Libra comes from a highly imaginative, uh, visually saturated, certainly taste saturated, even if it is not delicious, mm-hmm. world to this, this very, let's be honest, I don't want to. Okay, as a middle aged woman where everything is sagging right before my next mid 50s birthday, I have a lot of sympathy for the grayness and the sagginess and the schlubbiness of this wolf. It's not rational. I understand that. It's just very uh, deep, deeply held uh, identification with the, I'm not feeling my most saturated and delicious right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and looking at this wolf entering to the story, a big gray moment as a contrast to what we saw on the earlier page when you see touches of gray, but not the center. It's just an accent. And the grayness and the flatness of the wolf really mm-hmm. comes to the fore. That was an interesting uh, narrative choice, both visually and in terms of st- the story. So kudos to you on that one. Thank you.
1: So if you want to get really existential and you think about little Leroy LaRouge and being as colorful he is as he is and living his best life as a firecracker, if you remove that hood, I mean, and you've seen the opening spread, he's wearing all black. So he ostensibly is like, okay, I'm kind of like, color neutral like this wolf is. Um, and so the wolf has this potential to be just as colorful. It's, you know, as George Michael tells us in Freedom 90, sometimes clothes do pick the man. Maybe I'm, I'm speaking um, out of school. Maybe I'm, I, I misremembered that line. It might be the complete opposite, but we're gonna say that that works. And so the wolf has the potential to be just as colorful. And maybe the wolf is like, I don't know how to do that. And so my defense and to make myself feel better is to attack you for not being as gray as I am because I don't know how to be as red as you are. Um, And Little Red maybe sees through that and definitely sees through that actually and thinks, okay, we're going to get you there. I'm not going to tell you we're getting you there, but I'm just going to nudge you in that direction. And eventually you're going to come around and you're going to see that you can be just as colorful and happy as I am.
0: I love that, and it's paired with the pungency of the language and how the wolf wants to weaponize certain adjectives mm-hmm. swishy, fluffy, puffy and yep. and uh, Le- Leroy just embraces those words uh, and is excited about them and wants to then turn it around yes, these are good, and the wolf can also be silly or fluffy or puffy or whatever and have the pungency of the language can be celebrated as well that we don't have to dumb down what, how we speak about it we just can embrace the uniqueness and pungency of our language
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think it's like it's all about i like to find words that have that have a feeling i know that all words have a meaning but there are some words that just they, they illustrate a feeling better than other words do. And you can make a point more with sounds than the actual words. And so um, when I'm finding words for the page, that's what I like to do. And I think about reading it out loud too, and just like words that are gonna stick in your crawl because they just feel sort of magical when you pair them together. And I think, um, I, surfacing my hero again, Roald Dahl, going through and just making up words. Um, that you see in a lot of his work. And knowing the history of him, just sort of having this moment with his family outside of his writing, where they would have this uh, get together of a meeting of their minds and what words can we create and what words can be fun and what words are sort of easier to say that have a sort of special meaning, but aren't actual words. Um, And so I love all of that magic that he he had throughout all of his work.
0: That is a really great answer because one of the things I love about a, a really good picture book and I feel like I'm saying this a lot lately, but that's because it's true. A really great picture book, especially one that's intended to be read, read aloud and shared, has great mouthfeel. And this mm-hmm. book has great mouthfeel. Poo on a shoe. <laughs> Rumbly grumply. A hop, skip, and a twirl. Greasy piles of garbage. Just sort <laughs> of, you know, as you're flipping through the book and then you're stopping for a moment. And I do feel sorry for that bird who's eating those muffins and I, I hope that bird still lives somewhere in the our imagination. Lives. The
1: <laughs> bird lives.
0: <laughs> the bird also lived. Um it, it's the story has all these moments of pungency of that it's just fun to say. It's fun to read just physically fun to read.
1: So, and part of my, part of my life, I work in advertising and in marketing and it's like, you know, how can you get somebody's attention with four or five words? So that's just part of like my, my livelihood too. And just like a daily exercise for getting things succinct and, and fun and memorable and in my, my book work as well. And I think you saying hop, skip and a twirl, it's like, I'm doing that constantly where it's like, what's the colloquialism and how can I make it, feel the same, but just like a shade different so that it really sticks and is a lot more fun to say, Um, whether that's saying it backwards or like, you know, something like we're in the holiday season. If you say deck the walls, it's just like something simple like that, or are the halls decked? Like it's it's just making the expected slightly twisted and a little bit more fun to say.
0: Just a little bit more fun, which I have to say, I think is a good description of your work here.
1: Well, thank you.
0: It's, It's unexpected. And it's got a little twist, but it's rooted in tradition and familiarity. It's cozy. It's like a, a really good, well, I wasn't going to say Christmas sweater because there is no such thing as a good Christmas sweater. <laughs> I remember, the, oh, no, don't go down that rabbit hole. You're going to need to go see your therapist if you remember Uh-oh. all your mama's Christmas sweaters. That is not going to be good. But it is like a good red cloak with a it really is. nice ruffle and an excellent blue bow on it. Unexpected and comforting and delightful uh well wallace thank you for joining us today
1: it's been my pleasure this has been so much fun i wish we could talk for you know a couple more hours well
0: someday you're going to come back to the east coast and we're going to hang out i know of a couple places where we could hang out and chat about things in a very enjoyable manner
1: i'm gonna take you up on it
0: excellent i hope that you do listeners out there in the virtual universe the mighty red riding hood a queer fairy tale The delightful saga of little Leroy LaRouche and the fate of the homemade pea bean fishbone muffins should be on your shelves now. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.